I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. today by saying that it's been a real gift the last several weeks to serve as the preacher for both Kingstown Communion and Rising Hope Mission Church. I also wanted to give a shout out to Alyssa Densham for a great message last week on Mother's Day and also just to plug a special invitation to join both Rising Hope Mission Church with Pastor Kerry and Kingstown Communion with Pastor Michelle as they'll be leading in the Pentecost celebrations next Sunday. One of the greatest gifts of this series has been the invitation to return to the small in order to experience the expansive God of all of creation. In our lives, we are constantly reminded that the universe is vast and expanding And as a result, so too should our lives be. 
which means bigger houses, bigger cars, bigger titles, and bigger bank accounts. The push for upward mobility has the potential to be devastating on our lives of faith because the narrative in the church becomes bigger buildings, bigger bands, bigger memberships, and bigger budgets. Then this tightly this is all tightly wrapped up in a package and it's branded to us as a necessity to encounter a bigger God. However, what I hope to have been able to remind you all of in the last few weeks is that one need not chase the big and the lofty to have a relationship or an encounter with the divine. Instead, every day is an opportunity to encounter the cosmic Christ in the ordinary moments of our lives. From the moment our eyes first emerge from our slumber, to eating food that nourishes our bodies, to grabbing a drink with friends, to laying on the sofa with your pet, to delighting in the voices and gift of our children and youth. These are ordinary moments of life and God fills them with grace. Yet there's one last place, perhaps the most important place, in which we encounter the extraordinary God through an ordinary act. And that act is going to bed. I remember when we had our first child, Alexander. I was in my early 20s. I had never intentionally thought about sleep before. It was simply something you did when everyone decided to go home or when you were bored and lacked the energy to find something else to do. But when Alexander came into the world, I quickly realized the importance of sleep. Actually, let me rephrase that. I came to realize that sleep is the foundational aspect of life. Prior to children, I went to bed when I wanted and I woke up when I wanted. And if I wanted to fall asleep on the sofa watching Netflix, so be it. But what I found out with Alexander is that I had limits. And so did he. Sleep became something that Samantha and I had to plan into our daily routines. And it was hard. At this time, we're going to give Alexander a bath. And then at this time, we'll be giving him a bottle. And then at this designated time, we will change his diaper and rock him to sleep in the hopes that he will stay asleep until his next scheduled feeding. As soon as he was down for the night, I remember we did this for Eleanor, our daughter as well. We would rush to the bed, jump under the covers, and hope to fall asleep as well. We now had a responsibility in our lives that was to someone beyond ourselves. And our lack of sleep affected every part of our relationships with each other, our friends and our family, our church and our co-workers, and most importantly, our patience with our child. A couple of weeks ago, I filled you all in on a secret that was underlying this sermon series. Now, I don't want to assume that you still remember what that secret was, so I'll share it with you again. 
The secret is this. Relationships are at the very heart of our encounters with God. And if we take seriously that relationships are at the heart of our encounters with God, especially as we encounter others, then perhaps we should take seriously our need for sleep. Or maybe the more biblical word would be something like our need for Sabbath or rest. When Alexander had a rough night, I didn't want to speak, encounter, or communicate in any fashion with anyone the next day. My eyes would be heavy and resentment would kick in for anyone or anything that required something of me. Oftentimes, this resentment was taken out on the ones that we love the most. But let's just assume for a moment that not everyone has an infant in their home. Studies have shown that nearly 30% of high school students, and I think this number has probably grown since this study, get less than seven to eight hours of sleep a night. The recommended amount of sleep for a high school student is 10 hours. 7% of adults aged 25 to 35 admitted to nodding off behind the wheel of a car within the same month the survey was taken. The CDC, an organization we have been hearing from a lot in the last year, declared sleep insufficiency to be a public health problem since 2013. To be certain, there are those who suffer the night on our behalf, like first responders, emergency personnel, and others. And, and there are those with real medical conditions that prevent them from gaining a good night's rest. But today, one of the largest reasons for lack of rest is priorities. Our culture has ingrained in us that we, like the Energizer Bunny, we can just keep on going. It's why every service station or grocery store checkout line has right at eye level five-hour energy shots available for that last second purchase to remind us of our need to squeeze in a few more tasks into our already overloaded days. We live in an era of 24-hour box stores, late-night menus, and devices that we mindlessly scroll through while lying in bed so as to not miss any new information that might be happening around our world. Or worse, we're wasting the ability to sleep on keeping up with the lives of the person we hadn't talked to in over 10 years on Facebook or Instagram. In short, our culture has fed us the lie that we are capable of living without limits. Wendell Berry once said that it's easy to imagine the next great division of the world will be between people who wish to live as creatures and people who wish to live as machines. Sleep is a deeply theological task. And it's rooted within our experience of God. Like Alexander reminding me of my humanness and my own limitations, 
The biblical writers often allude to sleep as a reminder of our ultimate limitation, and that is the limitation of life and the reality of death. We spend one-third of our lives sleeping, seemingly doing nothing, but it's in that nothingness of our lives that so much is happening on our behalf, even if we don't realize it. When we sleep, our bodies are doing magical things. They're healing muscles and cells, performing chemical processes that repair and strengthen our immune systems. Your brain is running through the gamut of your day and shifting and sorting information received and storing it into long-term and short-term memory receptacles and sending other items off into the void so as to not utilize unnecessary space. Our bodies. Our bodies are not just junk or shells. They are miracles and reminders that most of the things our bodies do and achieve are done when we stop the process of controlling them and let them to begin to repair themselves. And so is this the case with God. Perhaps the early Jewish tradition was on to something when they started their days at the setting of the sun. In my opinion, it's a reminder that the day starts not with productivity on our part, but in the rest and assurance of our lives firmly rooted in God's hands. Most of us try to pack as much as we can into our days so as to seemingly deny the mortal nature of our bodies. And yet, the early Israelites began with the acknowledgement that we are starting our lives and our days as a gift, resting in the assurance that God has and God will continue to work for the good of us, even despite our own efforts. You see, when we fall asleep, we're doing a very daring task. We're giving ourselves over to the loss of control. We are departing from a state of consciousness to a state of unconsciousness and trusting that our lives in that state of unconsciousness will be hidden and protected in the life of the one who does not sleep nor slumber. This is the beauty, of, to me, of Psalm 139. The author is recounting God's eternal nature in the cosmos, but also the particular caringness of God in the life of the individual as well. Where can this person go in which God is not already present? Getting up or lying down? Going from one extreme to another? And yet God is filling all of this space. God is filling all of time, all of space, examining every aspect of our being. This is the God in whom we find our rest, in both the temporal and the eternal, the here and the yet to come. This is the God made known in Jesus Christ, who gives rest for the weary, and exchanges our heavy ladens for a burden that is easy 
and a yoke that is light. Friends, I started the sermon today remembering when we first had Alexander and walking through the importance of a nighttime routine for us. But there's another part of that story I remember fondly as well. And it's a part of a story I wanna leave you with. It was the initial moments of having my child fall asleep in my arms. It occurred when rocking him from being awake to him being in a state of deep slumber. I remember his eyes would latch on to mine and, and he, they would get heavier and heavier as he slowly blinked, holding on for every last second that he could until he finally could hold on no longer and entered into perfect rest. He did all of that in my arms. He trusted me that while he slept that I would keep the watch. I like to think of God in this way too. Each night keeping watch as I hit my human limitations and grant my whole being over into the one who will work on my behalf while I sleep. And the reality of it is that I pray the same to be true when the time shall come for me to enter into the eternal rest, that I might find rest from my labors in the arms of the one in whom shall give us all perfect peace. I think Augustine of Hippo perhaps said it best when he said that you, that is to say God, you have made us all for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, to you who at the end of the six days of creation, hallowed the seventh day as your special possession. We pray three things. Help us, Lord to know you in this Sabbath time. From nothing you made this world and all that is in it. You spoke and the earth was filled with life, reproducing, reflecting your fullness in a commotion of joy. We rejoice in your creativity, O God. But on the seventh day, you rested as if you had all the world and time. Help us to know you in that satisfied rest, that confident reflection, that strong and perfect peace. We are invited to be still and to know you. And so we follow your command and we cease our striving and our struggling. Help us to know you more. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, to know ourselves in this Sabbath time. We often flee the quiet, preferring the noise and commotion to our still small voice. Our schedules are often so full that we have finally stopped. We fall asleep, but even in our sleep, we toss and we turn. We are restless, Lord. And we need to find our rest in you. We need time to explore our inner world and time to build the sanctuary of our heart. So we ask that you would help us know ourselves. 
And finally, help us then, Lord, to grant each and all a Sabbath rest, a margin of mercy, a place of grace. Help us to work to free others from endless labor and struggle. We pray for those locked in the grip of sickness, suffering, and addiction who are never free to rest. We pray for those tormented and overturned by a constant ebb and flow of life. We pray for those who are not at peace with themselves or with their neighbors. And we pray for all who work and watch and weep today. Help us to help them, Lord. Where we cannot help, we pray your presence speaking peace. Lord, this day is a gift from you, not a burden. An expression of love, not a demand of the law. We thank you, Lord, for this rhythm of our rest in our life of work. We hear your heartbeat when we are quiet and we listen. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus who lives and reigns with you, one God and the Holy Spirit. And as he taught us, so now we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.